Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you for attending this session on Healthy Forests. My name is Jamari Hartley, and I am CCL's Government Affairs Coordinator. I have been with CCL for almost two years, uh, and I am so excited to dive a little bit more in depth with our speaker today. Um, to go into a little background, uh, CCL works on policies that are effective in reducing net emissions and building bridges, both in Congress and our communities. One of our policy goals is to find the best way to reduce emissions by using American, America's forests to pull carbon out of the air. America's natural resources like forests, grasslands, and oceans are natural climate solutions that pull carbon out of the air and reduce the impacts of climate change. We can manage all of these natural resources to maximize their climate change impact, climate change fighting impacts. So today uh, we'll be answering some of those of your questions um, during and after our presentation. So feel free uh, to let them fly. Um, but today we will be exploring how we can continue to preserve and expand forest and climate smart forestry, as well as advocate for increasing urban forests, focusing on neighborhoods that lack tree equity. I grew up in Queens, New York. So learning about urban forests and having uh, CCL, including a focus on expanding forests and advocating for urban forests is something that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, as a kid, I always wondered why there wasn't a central park in all five boroughs of New York City. Um, looking back, it's a little silly thinking about that statement, um, but there is an alley for more trees in urban communities. Um, so continued work on emissions reduction and climate legislation like the Growing Climate Solutions Act and the Forest Act is why I came to CCL. And now is the time to take action on protecting our forests and expanding tree equity in urban communities. So I am looking forward to our speaker's presentation today. Um, our speaker today is uh, Joel Pinnell. Uh, Joel is the Vice President of Urban Forest Policy at American Forest. Uh, Joel oversees Joel oversees uh, efforts to build and promote American Forest's position on a range of urban forest policies and related social equity issues. He works to build and maintain relationships with policymakers, senior government officials, partner organizations, key state stakeholders, and other related entities to advance policies centered at the intersection of urban forestry and social equity. Over the last decade plus, Joel has played a leading role in expanding equitable access to public lands, including the creation and significant growth of the only federal grant program addressing park equity in cities, as well as the launch of the 10-minute walk campaign. Prior to joining American Forests, Joel led Sierra, Sierra Club's Outdoor for All campaign and directed urban policy for the Trust for Public Land. Uh, Joel is a graduate at of the University of Maryland and Virginia Commonwealth University's Center for Leadership. Uh, so again, thank you, Joel, for being here this Saturday. And I am sure we are all excited to get a closer look at what we can do to help increase urban forests um, and look at the importance of tree equity. So I'll pass the baton to you. Thank you so much, Jamari. And it is a pleasure to be with you all here on Saturday. Uh, let me see. I'm See if I can share my screen. It's still not giving me the ability to. Um, 
but I know Haley, I believe, is working on that. So, um, uh, yeah, so thank you again for the introduction. I would just say that, you know, this issue is personal to me. I grew up playing a lot of uh, pickup basketball. I, I grew up in the suburbs of Richmond, Virginia, and um, had a lot of tree cover, had a park uh, basically across the street from my house. Um, so this, I, I grew up playing a lot of pickup basketball in the suburbs, had a park right across the street from my house. We would go into the city and play and people would actually joke and say, you know, you, you, county, you county boys can't take the heat. And so as a teenager in the 90s, um, I thought that was a joke. I didn't know anything about urban heat islands. But now that I'm doing this work, I realize it literally was hotter in those neighborhoods um, and what that means, the climate and health and quality of life, economic impacts that has on neighborhoods um, is, is staggering. And so um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about today about tree equity. Uh, it's a current term that American Forest has coined to really address the issue of uh, the discrepancy in tree canopy that we see in cities throughout uh, this country. Um, and so we'll talk also then obviously about some of the policy touch points that are related to that. All right, so who is American Forest? Some of you may be familiar with us, many of you may not. We are the oldest conservation organization uh, in America, dating back to 1875, about to celebrate our 150th anniversary. Um, we are committed to creating and sustaining healthy uh, forests uh, in large landscapes and cities and communities from coast to coast throughout the country. Um, and so we've championed things such as the creation of the actual U.S. Forest Service um, and really every significant piece of uh, federal legislation or action that has occurred over the last century um, American Forest has been a, a part of that. We really talk about our work in two buckets um, very broadly. So our resilient forest, which is more about large landscape uh, uh, reforestation and uh, wildfire risk reduction, and then our urban tree equity work, which is what I focus on. So I'm going to focus uh, this presentation largely on that. Um, got a bit of, of Saturday dad brain, so I will, I'm not going to pretend to um, have expertise um, in our resilient forest work, I, I, I have obviously some, some cursory knowledge of it and can answer a few questions, but want to um, you know, put that out there that today is gonna to focus on our urban forest work. All right, and so what drives us? Uh, so again, you know, being a 150 year old organization, we have a long history, but we also like to think of ourselves as really um, forward looking. Uh, we see the two most pressing challenges of our time to be climate change and social equity um, and, and what that means in, in, many, in many different ways. Um, about four years ago, this is a picture of our first staff retreat since COVID this summer, uh, this past summer. Uh, about four years ago, we were a staff of 14. We are now at 80 and growing. So I think we've added um, several staff since this picture was taken. And so uh, I think it just shows the importance of this work, the momentum around doing this work um, uh, in, in a very significant way and at a large scale. Um, so, yes, and you all are obviously very focused on climate change. We know that our nation's forest and forest products capture about 16% of carbon emissions in the US. Um, and, and, and so, you know, trees and more broadly forests are the best natural climate solution we have, best nature-based solution that we have to addressing climate change. Um, and so what that means specifically in cities, in addition to the carbon capture and storage is also, um, it's almost $8 billion annually saved in um, heating and cooling costs. Uh, and so, so trees can reduce the average um, energy use by over 7%. Um, there's studies showing that if you plant um, anywhere from one to three trees in the right place, you can actually reduce those costs at an individual house by almost 50%. Um, so trees are, are, again, greatly, greatly important when we're talking about not only just storing carbon, but when we're talking about urban 
heat island and extreme heat, which is the number one killer um, of all extreme weather events. So more than hurricanes, flooding, all of those things that sometimes get more press, heat is known as the silent killer. And obviously heat has gotten a lot of press. The heat wave that we had last year in the Northwest um, that we continue to have throughout, uh, throughout the country, throughout the world, um, as our climate continues to warm. And so here's a little bit more about that extreme heat. Um, so uh, scientists at Duke estimate that there are about 12,000 preventable deaths a year from extreme heat. Um, and with the way that our climate continues to warm, they anticipate that if we do not take uh, substantial action, that number could grow to 100,000 deaths annually by the end of this century. Um, and so I think, you know, they've given enough studies where they say that Boston, by the end of the century, Boston, summers in Boston will feel like Miami. Uh, and, and summers in Miami will feel like, uh, um, I'm sorry, and summers in uh, Phoenix will feel like Kuwait by the end of the century if we, if we don't act. So um, just the importance of extreme heat. And that also was um, when we were on the Hill, along with others advocating for um, significant money in both the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act, that really was one of the number one selling points uh, was the heat mitigation that trees provide in our cities. Um, in addition to extreme heat, also just you know, air quality. And so uh, trees in cities um, prevent uh, 670,000 cases of acute respiratory symptoms annually. Uh, you look at a city like Detroit, where the childhood asthma rate is four times what it is in the rest of the state of Michigan uh, because of the lack of tree canopy and because of um, highways and cars and air pollution. And so again, uh, in addition to heat, we just see it's such a critical, critical health issue that we have equitable tree cover in our cities. Um, so, so what does all that mean? You know, we, 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 I think you can drive around most cities and you can see that your tree cover is going to be more pre uh, predominant in your wealthier and whiter neighborhoods. Um, but it's one thing to talk about it. What we did is actually launched a tool with data. Um, so anyone can go to treeequityscore.org. Um, we have over 150,000 neighborhoods. Neighborhood is really like a census block group. Um, it's basically the entire contiguous U.S. There is not satellite data available currently, quality satellite data for Hawaii and Alaska, but we, uh, the Forest Service and others are working on providing that data so that we can do tree equity score uh, truly for the whole country. Um, but that's a tool, again, that anyone can pick up. You can look at your neighborhood and see where those tree canopy gaps are. This is what it looks like uh, if you pull it up. We cross, um, we, we look at tree canopy. Uh, it's by different um, regions. And so this is a tool that's meant to compare a city, neighborhoods within a city. It's not meant like some other tools to compare cities. Um, so I used to work for the Trust for Public Land that does park score and they're ranking the top 100 cities in terms of their access to parks and other factors. Um, this is not what this tool is designed to do. Tree cover in Phoenix, again, is gonna look much different than tree cover in Atlanta um, or other areas just based on the, the ecosystem there. And so this really is looking at a score of 100 means that you have equitable tree canopy across your neighborhoods. Um, and so it looks at uh, things like unemployment rate, the health index that gets into a number of factors. It looks at uh, children and seniors, because those are uh, the folks who are most vulnerable to extreme heat and other health conditions. It looks at the percentage of people in poverty, surface temperature, along with um, people of color. And so again, I, I welcome you. Feel free to, to multitask right now or at your home convenience to, uh, to look at the tree equity score and again, you just pull it up on your phone. I think it is a pretty cool tool and we found it to be very useful. It's designed to be democratized data that anyone can use it from the White House to an individual citizen who wants to know tree canopy in their neighborhood. 
Um, and so now that we have that tool, really, what does that mean? And so we at American Forest have spent the last couple of years really building a tree equity movement. So um, awareness and inspiration, a lot of comms pieces when our, our uh, tree equity score launched last year, we had a, a feature in the New York Times, July 4th edition. Uh, it's been getting, again, because of the extreme heat and other issues um, that we've seen in this country over the last two or three years around social equity, around climate change. Um, it's really been gaining momentum as a priority that neighborhood groups and folks are going to talk about, going to city council to talk about. Um, so building that awareness and inspiration, um, the tree equity toolbox obviously gives you a data-driven tool to really uh, drive those decisions of where we're going to invest. Uh, proof of concept, we have been doing this on the ground in states like Rhode Island um, and then individual cities, Detroit, Phoenix, Baltimore, Boston, cities across the country where we really have that proof of concept of what this looks like, working with community-based partners, working with city officials, uh, working with the Forest Service and federal agencies um, to really uh, uh, achieve tree equity in a inclusive, holistic, comprehensive way. And then lastly, just empowering the movement. So we are the uh, American Forest is the lead of the U.S. chapter of 1T.org. Um, so that is the Trillion Trees initiative that was started actually under the, the previous um, administ White House uh, administration. Um, so getting individual cities to make pledges, uh, providing technical assistance, resources, and tools. We have developed a number of tools working with the Forest Service and other partners. And then lastly, the funding, um, right? We know that that uh, the best ideas in, in the world don't work if they're not properly resourced and funded. And thankfully, um, due to the Inflation Reduction Act, most uh, prominently, there is uh, unprecedented federal funding um, for this work. There's also a lot of private funding. Um, cities have been leading on this work for for years, uh, decades in some cases, they don't have the luxury to wait um, uh, and do the politics that we sometimes see at the federal level. And so um, really we're at a, a, a unprecedented moment in terms of funding tree equity across the country. Um, and then just uh, how we do this work too, is that we work again with partners to make sure that it's data-driven, that it's community-centered, um, holistic forestry. That is a picture of a guy that we developed with the Forest Service that um, was part of the White House's announcement on um, their interagency work uh, task force on extreme heat, really looks at things like species selection, um, how we're optimizing uh, tree cover for human health and for climate adaptation. Uh, workforce development is a critical, critical piece of this work. We think it's a moral imperative that if we're going to invest and create economic opportunity in neighborhoods that have been historically disenfranchised um, and lack tree canopy, uh, that we're going to create jobs for the people that actually live in those neighborhoods and who, again, are, are underserved economically in some of the worst ways. Um, and then obviously also, again, uh, just being well-funded. Money money comes up a lot, uh, <laughs> as you see. So, um, and, and I'll just say, too, part of, you know, tree canopy is a bipartisan issue. Um, you see the Trillion Trees initiatives that has been supported and introduced on both sides of the aisle. Um, sometimes when we talk about urban forestry, uh, I will meet with folks who say, yeah, trees are great, we, but why is it the federal government's responsibility to fund neighborhood trees? Um, and one of the reasons that we feel and that, the, the, that Congress um, has directed that it is a federal priority is because these neighborhoods did not happen like this by accident. And you know, we know that there's a legacy of redlining, of discrimination, of um, putting highways directly through neighborhoods and cutting them off, tearing down trees, cutting them off from the economic centers of communities. 
And so for those reasons, um, you know, these neighborhoods did not happen again by accident. They, they were created in large part by decades or even centuries of, of policy and land use at multiple levels of government. And therefore it's, it's incumbent upon us to come up with those policy solutions. Um, so here's the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, I'm not gonna focus a lot or really at all on the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law. Uh, that was mostly, again, that uh, the Replant Act, which lifted the cap on the Reforestation Trust Fund, provided about $2.5 billion to post-fire restoration, was what we considered a really, really, our, our most significant federal policy win in terms of our resilient forest work. Uh, but when it comes to our, our urban forestry and tree equity work, it really was all about the Inflation Reduction Act. This is some of the non-urban money that was in the, the $5 billion forestry title. And so you see that there was additional money for uh, wildfire um, mitigation in terms of uh, hazardous fuels on National Forest Service lands, uh, veg management, as well as $100 million for environmental reviews uh, under NEPA, um, uh, $50 million for old growth. There was uh, for private lands, there was about um, $400 million through those various programs, $100 million for wood innovation and $700 million for um, the Forest Legacy Program, which is really about um, private uh, land acquisition to help with, with, with healthy forests. Um, so those are the, the non-urban uh, parts of the title. There's also significant money in some of the conservation titles under um, uh, the Department of Interior jurisdiction. So not going to get into that. If folks have specific, specific questions about that, be happy to uh, follow up with you, um, but did want to, to let folks know that this money was out there um, in addition to what I'm going to talk about next, which is the money for urban and community forestry. So um, in the IRA, there is $1.5 billion for the USDA Forest Services Urban and Community Forestry Program. If you're not familiar with that program, it is the only federal program dedicated to um, healthy tree canopy in cities. Um, if you are a community of 2,500 and up, you are eligible for assistance under this program. The Forest Service estimates that they're supporting, they've supported about, about 8,000 communities with funding. So often when people hear urban, um, they're thinking, uh, you know, New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, Los Angeles. This is obviously uh, can fund work in those cities and they're needed work in those cities, but communities are small 2,500. So cities throughout the country, um, we're talking about 80, basically 84% of America is eligible for assistance under this program. Uh, and 1.5 billion, what does that mean? Well, the high water mark for this program in annual appropriations was $40 million. Um, so 1.5 billion is uh, almost 40 times what the annual appropriation has been. Uh, if you read the language, the Forest Service, the, the language in the, uh, the, the legislative text, Forest Service has 10 years to obligate the money. Uh, so folks were talking about, oh, it's 150 billion, 1.5 billion over 10 years, 150 million a year. But that is not how they are thinking about this money. They're thinking of it as a one-time inflection of money. They're going to try to get the money out the door much more quickly than the, the window that they have. They must obligate it within 10 years. They're going to try to do it much more quickly for a variety of reasons. And there's still going to be a need for to increase that annual uh, baseline of funding for this program um, going forward. So I, I did want to make that clear. Uh, some of the eligible activities, most folks often think just of tree planting. Um, because this was a reconciliation bill, it was all based on existing authorities and the Forest Service through the Cooperative Assistance, Forestry Assistance Act of 1978, uh, through subsequent amendments, including the 1990 Farm Bill, which created this program, they have broad authorities to do um, not just tree planting, but to do protection, to do maintenance. Uh, the Forest Service has the authority to 
uh, do activity on private lands if it's for public benefit. Um, wood utilization, workforce development, um, education, technical assistance, planning, all of those things are eligible activities under this money. Um, and again, the priorities are underserved areas to really lift and build capacity in places where communities don't have it and comprehensive climate health and socioeconomic impacts. Um, some of the additional funding that is in the IRA that is not specific to forest, but under which uh, tree canopy and other activity is eligible is DOT has $3 billion for their neighborhood access and equity program. Uh, this is gonna be administered by the Federal Highway Administration. It would do things like um, complete streets, uh, multi-use trails, regional greenways. If you're familiar with the transportation alternative program, uh, those sort of multimodal, um, again, complete street things, but then also natural infrastructure to mitigate urban heat island and stormwater runoff. We know that trees are the most effective natural infrastructure to do that. And that even has specific language on tree canopy assessments. Um, DOT has been a little bit slower in setting up this uh, program because I think they had so many new programs created in the, the IIJA, um, but they are, are working to set up what the specifics will be in eligible entities, our states, local units of government, and the, the MPOs that typically receive federal transportation money. Another program uh, that I wanted to highlight is um, EPA has environmental and climate justice block grants. Um, they actually put some information out on this yesterday at the National Environmental Justice Advisory Council meeting, a public meeting. So even though they are called block grants in the legislation, they're actually going to be competitive grants. Um, and again, lots of language on mitigating climate and health risks from urban heat islands, climate resiliency and adaptation. Of that 3 billion, 200 million is set aside specifically for uh, engagement of disadvantaged communities so that they can be part of processes and decision-making and allocating this funding. Um, the bipartisan infrastructure law actually gave new authorities to the EPA's Environmental Justice Office. Previously, it was really technical, heavily technical assistance. They didn't have an implementing authority. They now do. Uh, they have created um, a new office that has over 200 EPA employee, existing employees were moved into this new office. So EPA has really um, stepped up their Environmental Justice Office to meet not only the new resources they've received, but also to meet the, the demand and the urgency of doing this very important work. Um, and then also the administration. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much you all do administration work, um, but uh, now that we've had two huge pieces of uh, legislation passed in the last uh, year plus, you know, it's really critical that they are implemented effectively and in the right way. And so this aligns with so many of the current administration's initiatives around Justice 40. Um, they just released a new last week or this, I believe last week, a new climate economic justice screening tool that's supposed to drive a lot of these investments. Uh, if you're familiar with EJ Screen, this is sort of a new, newer, uh, slightly different version of that. Um, they did not, the, the beta version they released a few months ago did not have anything in terms of access to green space, trees or green space. Um, so we were able to work with White House CEQ along with the Trust for Public Land to incorporate a new, they're calling it a um, indicator of burden that really looks at uh, nature deprived communities is the word that this White House likes to use. And really it, it's not taking our tree equity score data at this point, but it's a step in that direction that they realize we can't really talk about climate and economic justice in communities and tools to access that if we're not looking fundamentally at access to parks and green space and trees. Um, community engagement, I, I put this one here because that's a, such, such an important part of doing this work that American Forest focus on, that partners focus on, that the federal government and other entities are focused on. 
Um, you know, there's, there's so many examples of national nonprofits like American Forest and others where I have worked going into communities and saying, um, basically, we, we know what's good for you. And, and it's well-intended. Uh, and we know the climate benefits that organizations like American Forest and others are, it's tied to our mission and we are, we are doing it because we know that it's good for the environment. But if I'm in a community where I may have 40% unemployment, I have uh, very, very serious issues with the quality of education, I have gun violence and other issues coming in to say, hey, you need to prioritize trees and parks and green space for the climate is not always going to be well received um, and for good reason. There's also a lack of trust often with, um, with national nonprofits, with government officials, with others, again, in these communities because their history bears that out. We're often dealing with um, generational trauma uh, that folks in these communities have. So really making sure that you are not inviting folks to the table, but co-creating and building a table with um, voices that are centered in the community, that are trusted in the community. Um, there's a great example of this in Baltimore where the Forest Service has worked with um, the city of Baltimore and with others, but really it's been led by, by a pastor um, uh, at a church there who really uh, uh, has got the community buy-in and they were doing you know, invasive species removal and different things uh, because um, emerald ash borer and other, other uh, invasive species had decimated some of their tree canopy. So they really brought the community together around that, but it started with that trusted partner um, in, in the faith-based community. Um, there's more just again, just some uh, specific examples in Detroit about how we did this community engagement work where in Detroit, um, folks were very skeptical for a number of reasons, but also, you know, if you're talking about, uh, trees in private property and neighborhoods and right away is like, who is going to take care of them? They don't take care of themselves. And so these are things that you've got to work through. Uh, this is why the carbon finance is so important to try to find some ways to monetize this and pay for these long-term um, this is, again, just a really important aspect of community engagement that cannot be overlooked. So, um, you know, that's, I just talked about uh, $7.5 billion of funding um, that uh, 1.5 of it is specific to urban and community forestry for a program that's used to getting a 30 to $40 million annually. So um, there was a lot that we uh, were able to achieve this year. And again, implementing that is going to be a big focus of, of ours and, and many other folks. Um, but there are still some things that are missing. So the Trees Act is something that's been introduced the last five Congresses. Um, it's been bipartisan in both the House and the Senate. Uh, it would create a tree planting and protection program at the, the U.S. Department of Energy. It's modeled after a very successful program in Sacramento. Um, and, and Congresswoman Matsui, uh, who represents that area, has been the lead sponsor, um, where the, the utility district um, provides uh, incentives and other rebates from utility costs for the planning and protection of trees uh, in houses. So it's been a very popular program. Um, and it really, there's, there's, a, there's several other pieces of legislation that would create similar programs at HUD, similar in terms of um, uh, getting tree dollars from housing agencies and others where they, they typically aren't. So right making it a whole government approach that is beyond just the Forest Service, EPA, and DOT, but really all of government is focused on the intersectionality of all these issues. Um, and then there's a couple of other bills too. Uh, honestly, what I'm hearing on the Hill, what many of you all who, who, who talk to folks on the Hill are probably hearing is that because we did have two mammoth pieces of legislation, we're going to be looking at 118th Congress with uh, divided uh, Congress. Um, there's not going to be an appetite for a lot of new authorizing legislation. 
Um, and again, the federal agencies are really uh, up to their neck in terms of implementing some of the things that were created with the last two, uh, two pieces of legislation. Um, so I don't know that there's going to be a huge opportunity to advance a lot of legislation. That said, one of the things that uh, needs to move next year and has always been bipartisan is the Farm Bill. Um, and so the, the forestry and conservation title of that Farm Bill contains, um, uh, as the name would suggest, a lot of forestry and conservation provisions. And so there is a forestry and the Farm Bill Coalition that is being led by the American Forest Foundation and a few others. And these are some of the ideas that have been floated that that coalition is slowly trying to build some consensus around what the forestry um, uh, communities ask will be. Uh, the House did already have some hearings on this. The Senate is going to start their uh, Senate committee, Agriculture Committee is going to start their hearings in January. Um, however, you know, with the House um, flipping uh, in a new majority, I imagine we're going to see um, new hearings and new priorities. Um, since the Glenn Thompson of Pennsylvania will be chairing um, their, the House uh, committee, and I know that he has spoken um, recently about uh, some of the things that he wants to see with the Farm Bill. And so these are just some of the, the ideas that have been floated um, really around uh, newer expanding authorizations to make sure that we're, we're protecting some of those new investments that were created in the IIJA and the IRA. Um, Carbon finance is one. I think there's a lot of really good ideas, particularly carbon finance works completely differently in an urban setting than it does in a large scale, you know, 10,000 acre and up uh, a, a setting. And so um, there's a number of good ideas around carbon finance in, a, in, in cities that could potentially be advanced to the farm bill. There's some workforce development, um, some, some uh, conservation core ideas, uh, amending the Public Land Corps Act to allow for more work to be done in non-federal areas is one of the ideas that's been floated. So, so these are all things that we, uh, once we get more specifics on, we'll be trying to you know, coalesce larger um, coalitions and momentum around, but it is, um, it is moving. And so um, I think that really is going to be one of the, one of the few, um, I, I could be wrong, but I think that will be one of the few real legislative opportunities in the next year. Um, and I'm wrapping up my, my too many slides. I always try to do, do 10 or less. I think I have 20, uh, but um, this is my contact information. So if folks do have questions um, that are, are not addressed here in our dialogue, then please feel free to reach out. Um, and Senator Sabinow said something very funny to me. I don't remember what it was, but um, it, it, was, it was hilarious. So um, that, is, that is it. I'll turn it back over to you, Jamari, and hopefully I left enough time for some, um, some dialogue. But again, thank you all for having me. Um, it's always, always great to, to talk to such an impressive uh, coalition and membership of folks who care about our climate. Yeah, thank you so much, Joel. Uh, lots of in information, um, and it's ex extremely helpful um, in what we want to do moving forward. Um, so gonna, we have around 14 minutes. Um, so just going to uh, get kind of questions to you, Joel, and then I can kind of answer a little bit more uh, of the questions moving forward. Um, so uh, one question that we have from the chat is, uh, cities have an incentive to maximize the pr presence of revenue generating businesses rather than trees that don't pay property taxes. Uh, this is not just an American urban problem. Uh, just at, just look at illustrations of medieval European cities, which building with building practically falling over each other. Um, how do you overcome this age old barrier? 
Yeah, no, 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 it is a, a barrier. And often, you know, even taking a step further, some we talk about trees as assets because we know all the climate benefits and ecoservice benefits they have, but often they're managed and seen um, uh, as liabilities because uh, because you have to take care of them and a lot of other things. But I would I'd say there's a couple of things. One is that, again, when you look at the economic benefits, not only from uh, reducing extreme heat, uh, when you look at stormwater management, there's uh, many cities throughout the country are now doing stormwater credits. Um, just th th there's millions and billions of dollars of eco-service benefits um, that trees provide. So finding a way to monetize that, being really creative about that. There's um, we're working with Quantum Ventures and other other smaller groups who are really looking at again how you how you monetize this investment in trees to 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 so that it can pay for itself. Um, and I also think we really have to quantify what that the human health aspects is again billions of dollars we're talking about in health care savings, um, physical and mental health when you're investing in our trees. Lastly, I'll say is that um, gray infrastructure, again, you know, I, I, the question speaks to the, the you know, buildings crumbling and, and the investments we need to continue to make in our, our gray infrastructure. Uh, so green infrastructure like trees actually protects our gray infrastructure and increases their lifespan. So you look at the heat wave that um, hit the, the Pacific Northwest last year where, um, you know, wire cables and things like that were literally melting in public transit systems. And so we have trees to cool our cities um, properly. It's going, the savings are there. And so it's just a matter of, of monetizing those savings and making sure that, that a portion of them are put back into the long-term sustainability of our tree canopy. Great. Um, next question we have is, uh, how can lobbying our member of Congress uh, help with creating uh, more urban force? Um, what is the incentive moving forward? Yeah, um, I think the incentive moving forward, particularly now that we have so much uh, federal money at the table, is really going to be on the implementation side. And so um, work, cities across the country have various stages of urban forest management plans. And so really being able to put some teeth to those plans. And so I think obviously any uh, member of Congress that you're talking to going in with specific examples of, of some of those plans and, and uh, some of the neighborhood development and stabilization that occurs when you invest in tree canopy um, is really the way to go. And so the ask, of, uh, the, the, the hard asks have been done uh, in terms of getting the, um, these big, two big pieces of legislation across the finish line. And so I think now it's really, really is about implementation. And I think members of Congress are gonna be excited to see some of the work that this can do in their, uh, for their constituents and in their districts. And again, um, communities of 2,500 and up. So it doesn't matter what district you represent, uh, you're, you're gonna benefit from the urban and community forestry program. Yeah, and talking about implementation a little bit more, uh, you mentioned Sacramento um, as a city that uh, potentially does a little bit more uh, with their urban forestry work. Do you have any other examples of some cities that have done well with their urban forestry work? Yeah, I mean, there's cities across the country. Uh, Chicago has made massive commitments to their, uh, you know, they've actually put tree equity into some of their citywide plans. Uh, Phoenix is doing great work. LA, Miami, Boston, New York. There's so many cities across the country, smaller cities, Columbus, Ohio, that Iowa is filled with a lot of small communities who are doing this work. I think what's important to point out is that um, cities who are doing this work is because they've looked across all agencies and they've really coordinated around the plans. There's a lot of urban forestry plans that sit on shelves, but if you're not coordinated across agency and have someone in the mayor's office who's actually a point person on this, um, it doesn't work. And so you look at a city like uh, Phoenix, 
which was the second city after Miami uh, Dade to actually have a chief heat officer because those are two cities where extreme heat is obviously um, a pressing issue. And so they've uh, prioritized the funding at the city level. We've got to look at uh, how lack of tree canopy and other issues uh, are, are making our cities uh, hotter and unlivable. And so um, there's so many cities across the country. I could go on, you know, Denver has a great uh, metro approach, the whole front range uh, area of doing this collaboratively. They've got a great plan. They're looking at not only how they're going to plant uh, tens of thousands of trees, but how they're going to protect trees, how they're working with um, uh, the core networks and others, AmeriCorps and others to, to get youth involved. Um, so there's so many different ways. So many cities have been leading on this, um, but those, those are just some of the examples that, that immediately come to mind. Great, and it's it's definitely good to hear uh, the various examples of uh, other cities doing a little bit more work. Um, next, we have a question uh, from David. Uh, very well presented, Joel. You express the multiple benefits of trees very well. Uh, can you speak more to the math of how much forest can measurably help uh, with reduction <laughs> of climate change and over what period of time? Yeah. Um... So we, we have great data analysis um, in-house at American Forest. We actually worked with American Forest Foundation to provide a lot of uh, carbon capture numbers on all of the different investments in the IRA, uh, worked with the Senate um, and, the, and the administration on providing those numbers. Um, so I'm not an expert on numbers. I'd be happy to follow up. But you know, when you talk about 16% uh, forests nationally capture about 16% of our carbon emissions, I think that equates to like 866 um, million metric tons. Urban is, I think, about 150 of that. So co comparatively, it's a, a smaller percentage. But then really, again, um, all the other co-benefits, uh, the 7% reduction in, in, in residential energy use. Um, uh, we have numbers I don't have on top of head just in terms of stormwater management. Um, so that's something I certainly could provide and that we should, we should um, as I'm talking, like, yes, we should have those hard, uh, uh, a one page or something that has all of those different numbers. But even if you go into tree equity score, you can look, um, you can look and they have sliders where you can sort of play with if we were to plant this many trees um, and, and it says planting for simplification, but it's again, it's not just planting, it's protection of existing canopy, which is often where you get your biggest climate benefits. Um, this will be the eco-service benefits in terms of dollars. Um, uh, and, and, and again, it's oftentimes it does take you know, trees have to mature. Your more mature trees are going to give you the biggest climate benefits. But in cities, you know, they are planting more mature trees as well. Um, but I, I can actually probably share, um, I have to make sure that I'm able to share it, but some of those carbon numbers that look at 10, 20, 30 year outlays um, based on the investments and the assumed uh, outcomes of some of those investments with this Inflation Reduction Act money. Great. And going into a little bit more on uh, kind of the planting of trees in urban communities, um, what are some steps that are uh, taken to ensure that these trees uh, that are newly planted thrive um, when there's, you know, buildings around and other things in terms of pavement, sidewalks, streets? Yeah, uh, so so much goes into that. And, and when people talk about planting trees in urban environments, really, uh, you know, we have a, a number, I think it's, it averages about 280 some dollars per tree. Uh, that varies widely. A, you know, a tree in New York City costs a lot more than a tree in Omaha, Nebraska, for example. Um, so that's a national average, but that average includes the first three years of taking care of that tree. So it's really establishing that tree for long-term health. Um, 
cities, trees in cities have higher mortality rates for, you know, I think for a number of reasons, which are probably obvious to, to most of us. Um, and so again, that is why uh, really the workforce development piece, we can create jobs for people protecting and caring for these trees. And so the model that many folks have is, is volunteers and volunteers are amazing. Volunteer groups are why a lot of this work gets done in cities across the country. But um, when we're talking about investing this kind of money and the money that's required, um, you know, we, there's, we work with Davey and others in the Tree Care Industry Association to make sure that their training have the workforce they need. They've got an older, uh, whiter, more male workforce that is retiring, and, and there's going to be a big gap if we're not um, preparing people for full-time jobs in this, not just seasonal jobs, uh, but full-time jobs and careers. Detroit's a great example of um, the green of Detroit is one of the community's great groups we, that we work with there. They have 60% of their participants are people who have been previously incarcerated or justice involved. They have an 80% direct job placement rate and they have a, a single digit, I believe it's a 5% recidivism rate uh, for people who come through their program. So that's just one great example. I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but um, I, you, have to, you have to have long-term investment and it has to be part of the local economy. Um, and there's, there's many, many ways to do that. Yeah, great to hear. And extremely in terms of the costs, um, do you kind of envision any supply issues um, if all of these communities are engaging in kind of a massive effort uh, to plant more trees? Nursery capacity is a very real issue. There's a lot of um, uh, white papers and different things on that. Um, one of the ways that we we have tried to address that is we worked with the Forest Service um, and, and, and their Northern Research Station. Um, and so I think it was based out of Cleveland, but they, we, they have really looked at how do you create like regional nurseries? How do you, again, create um, jobs for folks? And so I keep going back to Detroit because I was there recently and we just have so many great examples there. But one of the things that they did was the Forest Service ran a lot of research to extract, like what are the extract genetics from trees that are most resilient to climate change, most resilient to invasive species. They're then created nurseries. Um, I think there's three of them in Detroit on vacant, previously vacant land. And so now those have become small businesses for residents there in Detroit. So um, nursery capacity is a huge issue. Having that seed to, to forest pipeline, it's being addressed at, at multiple levels from your, your, your large national forest reforestation to work in cities. Great. Um, I think we have time for one to two more questions. Um, so do you have any recommendations to potentially increase uh, tree canopy uh, in a community with a lot of uh, businesses and parking lots? Um, and what, what, how can we uh, increase participation within our communities uh, specifically? Yes, and I'm so I see someone asked for the bill numbers for the Trees Act, so I'm throwing those in the chat. Um, yeah, I, I would say just get involved by going either to local council meetings. If there's a friends of group or, you know, many, we're seeing in many communities, there are um, these Boston Speak for the Trees, Baltimore Tree Trust, you know, throughout the country, there's a lot of friends groups. Um, so I would start there. And if there isn't one, um, maybe, you, maybe you get with folks and start one. And so, uh, you know, community engagement and, and building trust community takes a lot of time. And so I think just start having conversations. What are the priorities for uh, the people who are living in these neighborhoods? You don't want to go into a neighborhood, again, that has all these other issues, the, the hierarchy of needs, and just you know, show up, say, hey, you know, we really want to help, help you plant some trees. Often you need to, to have a conversation about what they see as their priorities, and then you can show how 
yeah, tree canopy may not have been at the top of your list, but it really can impact all these things. And so a quick example I give is that um, in Miami-Dade, we saw, um, our, we hear that community advocates who had previously been talking about criminal justice reform or affordable housing are now showing up talking about tree equity because they've seen that intersection and folks have come and engaged them and asked them what's important to them. And so um, that is where I would start is just, you know, with the, the neighborhoods that really need the, the biggest investments in tree canopy, figuring out what the other priority needs are in those neighborhoods where trees and natural infrastructure intersect with that, and then have conversations about what is the lay of the land, what are the actual barriers, because it's different in every city. If it's, you know, this, land, this particular parcel of land, the ownership issues, the zoning issues, there could be so many things, but finding out what those barriers are, and then you can start to address them in partnership with those uh, neighborhood-based um, entities. Great. And thank you so much. I think that's all we have for time uh, in terms of questions. Uh, thank you so much, Joel, for the presentation. Um, it's very informative uh, in terms of what CCL is do doing moving forward. Of course, uh, on Healthy Forest, we'll be engaging both locally uh, and advocating for federal policies uh, based on uh, Healthy Forests. Um, so the legislations that we are currently supporting uh, are the Forest Act and the Growing Climate Solutions Act, which are uh, two of our secondary asks uh, this uh, lobby uh, week. Um, so thank you everyone for participating. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.